Delivering financial professionals' insights, thoughts, and cutting-edge strategies from industry leaders on how to build your most successful practice with the freedom of independence. Live from Gateway Financial Partner Studio at our Connecticut headquarters, we bring you Insights for Independence with your hosts, David Wood and Sidney Hebert. Well, hello, this is David Wood, the Founder and Chief Visionary Officer of Gateway Financial Partners, and welcome to today's Insights for Independence. Sydney, welcome. Hello, everyone. We are super excited to have a great guest with us today, Jen Rutley, who is the founder of Hidden Insights. Jen, welcome. Hey, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what Hidden Insights does. Sure. So um, Hidden Insights Group is a consulting firm. Uh, we focus on working with advisory firms on talent. So, um, and we also work with big financial institutions as well, but our whole goal is to help get more people advice by getting more people into the industry and making sure that the talent is, um, I think, represents the people that they're serving. So how do we get more diversity into this space? And how do we also make sure that the advice that um, is being given to consumers is trusted advice and good advice, right? So kind of moving away from some of the conflicts of interest and really focusing into the um, you know financial planning and building long-term relationships with clients. So tell us a little bit more about your background. Sure. Uh, so I uh, was a consultant for many, many years in the big, big consulting firms um, and then was at a smaller firm here in the Boston area um, where I did a lot in financial services um, and uh, eventually moved into the insurance space where I did a lot um, with a big Fortune, 500, Fortune 100 company um, around innovation, but then eventually into uh, marketing and heading up marketing for the advisor channel there. Took my background with consulting and working, again, more with that financial advice side and put together um, an insights group. And I am in the process right now of getting my master's in organizational psychology, which kind of brings all of it together into how do we help organizations, especially some of these you know advisory firms who are anywhere from, you know, three people to hundreds of people think through some of the more strategic things that are important to talent. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I got to know uh, Jen through uh, my involvement with Females in Finance, and Jen worked uh, and did a project for Females in Finance as it relates to diversity. And, you know, I think there's some major, major demographic shifts in our industry right now as, as you know, we, we've seen a decline in advisors last 15 years, about a 10% decline in financial advisors, coupled with a big demand for financial advice as the baby boomers start to retire. So we've got a, a, a big need for financial advice coupled with a declining force of advisors. And I think we've just begun to scratch the surface. You know, the, the, depending upon what study you see, it, it looks that, you know, a third of our industry is going to retire in the next 10 years. How do you, how do you think that that big shift in our industry is going to affect what the makeup and demographics of future financial advisors look like? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think there are a lot of um, forces right at play here and the aging advisor force being about average of 55 years old and, you know, primarily white male um, does bring in a lot of opportunity for how do you, and I think it, it starts to really push organizations on how do you look at the diversity piece and bring more people into the industry but it starts, you know, at the very beginning with making sure there's awareness of what this career really looks like, understanding, you know, who are the right types of folks to come into it and do well in this space. 
And then also, I think in some cases, re-looking at how development, recruiting, and all of those good things work so that you can um, really work with the, the different strengths and personalities of a diverse workforce that is not, you know, primarily white male. So all of these things are setting up, I think, uh, you know, a, a great opportunity for firms who understand how to, to support diversity, how to look at things like inclusive leadership um, and other topics that will really expand their reach. And I think at the end of the day, get them more customers and clients, because as we all know, the demographics in the U.S. are significantly changing. And, you know, the white majority is no longer going to be the majority um, in the next few years. So it's super important, not only with this aging demographic, but also with all of the different demographic changes that are happening in the U.S. for firms to really start to look at this stuff seriously and, and think about how they're going to be able to play long term in this kind of environment. Jen, like inclusive leadership, what does research say about attracting and retaining those quality financial advisors? Let's just further that topic a little bit. What are some things that advisors are looking for today when venturing toward the right fit? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's obviously not a one-size-fits-all. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you use the word quality advisors, I do think there are advisors who are more seasoned, um, who are starting to read headlines, or maybe they already have been reading headlines just around this move toward independence. So I do think there is a realization um, if you're sitting, you know, more on the wirehouse, insurance broker, dealer, banks, et cetera, side of the house thinking, okay, is there's this world of freedom out there that can, you know, really put me in that entrepreneurial seat that gives me more control, more um, opportunity. Um, but I think it all comes down to like, what's that growth platform look like for them? Where can they thrive and get the most opportunity to grow? Um, and which partners can do that for them, whether that's through, you know, um, giving them, you know, opportunities for acquisition, whether that's helping them with their markets and ways to be more efficient, um, whether it comes in their service levels that they can provide. Um, and I think it's, you know, for advisors who maybe are in situations where they're just being bogged down by the lowest common denominator, where, you know, a firm maybe is very large or maybe very conservative and therefore they're getting you know bombarded okay. with paperwork or compliance issues. So those are the advisors, I think, that are looking to say, how do I alleviate some of this, these constraints and really go places where I can be my best, I can focus on my clients, I can grow and not be bogged down by some of the minutiae. Uh, that they're seeing. Um, and I would add to me too, there's also this whole other group at which we have done research, which is next-gen advisors. And I think for them, what we've heard with next-gen advisors is they are really looking for stability, right? So kind of gone are the days for them of coming in on a variable compensation, fully variable compensation model, right? They're looking for some sort of stability. They're looking for community, right? They don't want to be isolated. Um, and I think they also are looking for career paths. So at least some transparency into how do I make it from where I am to the next level and what does that look like and how do I know? Um, but yeah, those, there's, I mean, again, so many different personas that we can look at, but I think if you look at the, maybe those two extremes, the seasoned advisor who's really performing well and the maybe next-gen talent who's coming in and trying to find a home in this industry, there's lots of different things I think that they're looking for. Well, it's funny you say that because I actually spoke with an advisor yesterday who is a is a female advisor, been in the industry for a long, long time, started as a wholesaler and then went to work for a, a, a wirehouse firm and then went to an independent RIA and really shared that the culture of the firm just doesn't support her and she feels left out. The owner and decision maker at the firm is 
is very, very old and I think has kind of set in in his ways, which has affected her ability to grow. And that's what's prompted her to look mm-hmm. around. So I, I think that, that you know, you're, you're right that it, it, it's different people have different um, have different uh, reasons for wanting to look elsewhere or make the change or find the right fit. And I do want to talk about the millennials for a second, but let's go back to mm-hmm. a general question and, and let's look at a firm like ours. So how, how does a firm know whether they're succeeding or not? So, you know, we're led by a, a female president. We've got a very, very diverse you know, team of people here. And I'm, I'm always kind of amazed when I look at some of the, you know, teams pages for other organizations and it's, you know, 98% men. We've got a very, very diverse, you know, team. I'm, I'm involved with the uh, organization Females in Finance. I think culturally where w- this is very important to us, we've got a, a DEI committee, but, but here's a question. How do I, how do I know if we're doing a good job and if we're, and if we're successful? Because, you know, I, I think we take it really seriously, but how, how do we know if we're doing the right stuff as a firm? Are you saying in regards to diversity or just in general? I, th- I in think your it, mind? when it comes to diversity. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few things. I think it does really start with leadership um, and making sure that leadership is championing a lot of this stuff, right? There's a lot of grassroots things that can happen or in some cases, depending on the size of the firm, HR can play a lead role and try to move the needle on, on things. But I've, I've found that a lot of firms have a lot of pockets of things going on or they might have, like you said, a DEI committee. They're trying to do stuff. But if, but if leadership isn't on the same page and hasn't really embraced the why are we doing this? Like what's our values and our norms around this? And it, it can't be a compliance reason, right? It can't be, you know, because it's, I need to get more clients. It, it really has to be the true purpose of we believe that this is the right thing for all of the good reasons, right? That diversity plays out. So yes, there are business cases out there, but getting down to the values and the norms of the organization and then trying to make sure that those are, um, I'd say circulated throughout the organization so that it's part of the DNA is really where I would say that's more of a, uh, a place you want to get to. Right. And then the rest of these things, these programs, right. So it's, starts with leadership um, that trickles into culture, right? So then it becomes part of the cultural norms. And then we can get into some of the programs that help support it. I think where I see organizations when they start with just programs and some of that grass work stuff, it moves a needle a little bit, but it doesn't really get the organization into a place where it's integrated and fully, I think, being valued and realized. Um, And there's tons of stats out there too that show, I think, um, around that you can have diversity, but if you don't have inclusivity and you don't have things like psychological safety, the business case for diversity just dies, right? It's actually almost the opposite, right? Because then you see a lot of challenges with retention, you see people that they feel isolated. Um, So yeah, so I think, again, that integrated way of working together versus the one-off programs is what I would say looks is kind of where we want firms to be. That's great feedback. I, I heard from, you know, one of our female advisors that joined us from a wirehouse that she felt that the wirehouse was just checking a box, right? So it was about, yeah. it was about checking a box. It wasn't really about making change. The, 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 the culture is the same that it's always been, but they're checking a box and putting some fluff in place to make, make it appear that they're doing stuff differently. Yeah. I know I've heard, I've heard people say, Oh, you know, we've tried all this stuff, but what we're also noticing is women aren't as productive as men. So like, it's still, it's just not working. I'm like, but, 
really that's what you're looking like. Is that the is that if that's the thing you're measuring, that's probably then you have the wrong values. And you know what I mean? So and I as I said before, not everybody starts at the same place too coming into the industry. So I think there's a huge equity piece here that's a coming in and kind of being the white male that is the norm and follows a specific development process may not be the same development process for someone who's a diverse candidate coming in who maybe hasn't started in an affluent place, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why I think we have to change our mindset is like, what are we really trying to get out of this versus, you know, check the box, like you said, David. Well, I think the big change too is when we look at the industry, I've been, I've been in this industry since 1986. And I think when I look at the the big change, we, we started back in the 80s and 90s with a very sales culture. So it was about selling and and men fit really well into that sales culture. Now we're in a relationship business and, and that transformation, yeah. I think women are better at the relationship. And I think that, you know, it's, it's my belief that over the next 10 years, we'll see the number of female financial advisors double in the space. So I think it's an incredibly important space. I think you're going to see more women coming out of some of those support roles into more leadership roles in organizations that's going to create an environment where you're going to have more female financial advisors. And I think that they're going to really excel. So I think it's going to be, I see a major, major shift in the industry as we move from that sales to the relationship culture. I totally agree with you. And I think like in the academic world, they call it interpersonal skills, right? Which is women are very good at interpersonal skills, which I would just equate to relationship building, empathy, listening, all those things I think that are important to long-term relationships. And I agree, like moving away from the, the transactional sale, selling and some of those things that women really don't care to do, I think. And, and again, a lot of the data that we see, we've seen you know, shows that they really are looking for those long-term relationships. And so if that's the way the industry is going, then women are a great strength, I think, to the industry from a, um, you know, building those long-term sticky relationships. So, yeah, I totally agree. I think to me then it's like, how do you get them in here? How do you uh, show women that this is a great career path for them that can bring them a lot of the, you know, elements that they would want, like, you know, some work-life balance as they kind of get to the point where maybe they are, you know, trying to balance kids and other things. But it's, it's you know, I think there's still that um, – People still think it's a numbers kind of industry, and that I think shies gets women to shy away from it because of that that stigmatism. But I, I don't. I think we would all probably agree on this call. At least it's not really about numbers; it's much more about relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also true that you know the barriers to entry. I started in this business when you know you you could sell a mutual fund, and it was an eight and a half percent you know front end commission on it. And today. If you did that, you'd end up going to jail. So the the one one of its one of its a pricing challenge, right? When we start to look at now, we're we're typically yeah. on a fee basis. Um, you know, the 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 barriers to entry are are I think high. Do you think they're too high for for new people getting into the industry? So I think again with women, it's much more about getting them into teams and ensembles where they can have support and um, an environment where they're not, you know in that more isolated place. So for example, if they do decide they want to take maternity leave or need to kind of, again, move a caretaker leave of, of any kind, they have a, a support system. They have folks that can, you know, take their clients, work with their clients, as well as I think from a compensation perspective, by having working in a team, there's the ability for compensation to be shared, uh, everyone to do their fair share, different roles to be filled. And, you know, I think, 
the independent broker dealers and the RIAs have really noticed this and are trying to find different ways to do that, whether it's coming in as some of a, as a para planner in some ways, or um, you know, a W two model for some sort of you know set period of time. But having that flexibility is really important, I think, for um, women who might feel like they're coming in, like you said, into a really an industry that has some pretty tough barriers for entry. Um, if you're looking for stability. Well, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned the word ensemble, and that's actually the exact word that this woman used yesterday. She, she really wants to be part of an ensemble practice. She wants to bring uh, her son into the business. So at the end of the day, you know, she wants to create a, a long-term legacy and family business. We actually just had this happen uh, in our uh, office in the state of Maine, where, where our you know, male advisor just brought his daughter into the business. And I think these are mm-hmm. things that, that, that get me excited because one, it creates long-term stability for that client base and it becomes a generational family practice. So there's long-term growth there. We've got a number of practices where we've had family members in, but we've also seen internally where advisors have partnered together that the individual strengths when put together have resulted in tremendous growth because not every advisor is great at everything. So getting them together, I think has Mm -hmm. been a catalyst for, for growth across the board. Yeah, no, I think there's vertical teaming and there's horizontal, right? So the horizontal is, like you said, like different advisors with different strengths that they can complement each other so you can really have a full service practice for your clients. And I think then the um, the vertical is the generational, right? And obviously it'd be great to have both, but the generational where, you know, you can make sure that you have a succession plan and you also have, you know, someone who can deal with clients' kids, make sure that, you know, and as, you know, as an advisor looks to potentially retire, have that, you know, person who already knows all their clients and can kind of come and be trusted, right? Ready to go with their clients um, as they get towards retirement. So it's a great, both of them, I think, are really important as you look at how to have uh, teaming and I think, you know, community, right? For, for folks who want that as well as great ways to service your clients. Yeah, definitely. Jen, I want to further a little bit more of what we're talking about on uh, the relationship side of things, just from my experience speaking with, you know, female financial advisors looking to move, the conversation looks really different than it does um, with other advisors. And I think that yeah. the root of that is is solely trust. It's about building relationship, trust, and sometimes even friendship before we move into mm-hmm. anything deeper. I've noticed that a lot. Can we kind of talk about that first touch, that first conversation, and how that differs from our other conversations we're having when looking to retain diverse talent? So it's interesting. I think, I don't have data on this, but this is just my own kind of thought process here. I do think women might be more loyal than men are to the firms that they're with and it takes more for them to want to leave. I think it takes them being very either (laughs) like something bad happened. You know what I mean? Something that really upsets them to leave versus being lured away by something more promising. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is in my experience. Um, I don't, I guess I don't have the data to support it, but I just think there's something there kind of going back to what you said about relationships. They feel comfortable. They have a relationship. They feel loyalty to their existing firm. And therefore, they don't necessarily look around to see what other opportunities out there. But once they do have a conversation, I agree with you, it's going to take probably more to get them to trust. And they're going to be skeptical. And they might, you know, I've actually 
was working with one woman who was looking at other firms and she felt like she was mansplained, right? Like just that, like it was, she felt like she was being talked down to when she, you know, was, was talking to other firms. So I agree with you. I think there's a level of trust, friendship, relationship that women need to see and feel before they're even willing to kind of venture towards a next step in that space. And I think some women are so scorned that they, that they, in some cases will never trust. And I've, I've met some women who have yeah. been through so much in the industry that their attitude now is I'm going to just do it alone because, uh, you know, they, they've been so beat up by prior bad experiences that now it's, I want to be in a hundred percent control and try to do everything by myself, which I think today mm-hmm. in the environment of where this business is, is next to impossible regardless of how strong someone is, I think it's, it's next to impossible to go this business alone today. Yeah. I know two sisters who did that, what, I don't know, 30 years ago, they finally said that we've had enough of all these men and they went and started their firm together because they were just like, we have such different values. We want such different things. We want to be able to, you know, see our children grow up, all these things that they couldn't, you know, they just couldn't get it when they were in where they were. So they went and started their own business with the two of them. Um, and still, they're still together and still going, but it is interesting, David, like that they, that sometimes it, women do isolate themselves because they just can't handle the, the scorn. I think you're right. Or some of the different challenges, but it was interesting. I will tell you. So the research that we did do recently around what was most important to female success, um, one of the things we did have in there was, you know, some of the challenges with diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and a lot of the, um, qualitative research we did we heard over and over again women just talking about the good old boys club and you know the fact that they got cufflinks for the recognition and all kinds of really you know not great stuff but when they looked at it and rated kind of whether it was a big factor to them or not in their success it was very low on the list um which really surprised me because i'd heard so many comments from women and when i asked and we did kind of a, a, you know, looking at the data with a bunch of women and asking them what some of their thoughts were. I heard over and over again, well, we have really tough skin. We've just kind of gotten used to it. Um, and so I think, you know, with some of the male dominated characteristics of the industry, women have kind of either acclimated or just kind of, you know, just ignored it and just said, I, you know, I got to kind of exist within it, which that's where I get a little worried because I do think the next generation is not as, um, able to do that uh, because maybe they've grown up more educated on this stuff and, you know, the expectations are higher. But it was interesting to me to hear from a lot of women that they just kind of expect it from the industry. Yeah, which, um, is, which, so. is, yeah, which, which is understandable and unfortunate at the same time. Where, where do you yeah. where do you get all your research from? What's the process that you, you've obviously got so much data from talking in the past. I know that. Where, where do you get all your data from? So a lot of the... Um, the folks that we've talked to and interviewed and surveyed have been through word of mouth, uh, friends and family kind of who have brought us, who have who we've kind of reached out to. And then what I've noticed about the female community is everybody is very welcoming to, well, now you should talk to this person or this person be really interested in what you're doing. So that's been great to just kind of have that more organic um, access to advisors. And again, mostly female advisors on that side. We've also worked with some larger financial institutions who have either um, sponsored the research um, through curated research um, uh, of their own 
or we've also had, you know, firms who have said, we really want to do, we really want to help you out with the research and we'll give you access to our advisors as part of this. So it's been a, I say a hodgepodge, but it's been really interesting because what I have noticed is as I've done one study and then kind of gone to done the next study, most of the women who participate in the first study are very welcoming and eager to participate again. Um, so it's a great, it's a great community of, of, I think, folks who are really interested in change and want to see some of this happen. And they're very, they're very, I think, engaged uh, to help make it happen. That's awesome. Well, Jen, listen, thank you so much for being with us today. Sid, why don't you just finish up with a couple of recaps from today's call? Yeah, there are a couple of things that you've said that I want to leave everybody with. First, we're seeing a shift from a sales business to a relationship business. That's really important. And I think we need to take that into account. It's about integration, not one-off programs. And it starts at the top with leadership. So thank you so much. And I want to leave you guys with that. And Jen, I really appreciate your your time today. Thanks. I'm so glad I was able to do this. It was a great conversation. Appreciate it. Awesome, Jen. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Hi.